core values is what we kind of talked about in January 2nd. I'm going to reiterate them for those of you who missed it. Uh, but I believe that the Lord is really showing us something that we need to highlight. And often th- these things are things that we actually have as a core value, but they haven't been articulated. So I want to articulate them. And we're actually going to go through a series on each of these core values. The first core value that I believe the Lord wanted me to share and for our church to actually have a focus on throughout this year is that we believe that God is inhabits the praises of his people. We believe that God's presence is powerful, is tangible, and that you can actually encounter God. That he's not an allegory, that it's just not an example or a metaphor, but actually you can uh, be in God's presence and feel him and experience him and be transformed by him. And that you can have an encounter with God and that you can actually release that encounter when you go out inside the church and you connect with people that God could move through you. But that his presence is a core value of who we are. Our second core value that I want to mention is that we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that God hears our prayers. We believe the power of healing prayer where we can pray for the sick and that they will recover. By the way, uh, Linda Ruane is recovering and she is doing really, really well from being in one of the worst places you can be um, to uh, and, and actually coming out of the woods of her of her sickness and issues. And the doctors are amazed. And, and, and I just thank the medical community for what they can do to keep people going. Um, but I also know that the power of prayer and actually doctors recognize that they're like, look, we do what we can do. And then it's up to whatever. And they see God move, you know, and, and I just so thankful for what God's doing in Linda's life. And we're going to praise that. And I can't wait till she can give a testimony on stage. Um, but we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things that God hears our prayers. We also believe our third core value in the power of transformation. We believe that you can have a transformed life, that it's not just behavior modification, that it's not just a certain type of management that you have to live your whole life, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be set free, you can be delivered, you can actually walk a different walk. And, uh, And this is done through sanctification and the transformation that God does in our lives. And so this is why uh, deliverance is a big deal. Deliverance can happen in your life. So we believe in the presence of God. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in transformation. And then our fourth core value as a church is we believe in evangelism. We believe that this is just too good not to tell anyone about. That when God actually, when you encounter God's presence, when you see the power and the effects of praying to him, when you actually have a transformed life, that you, you just got to tell people. And uh, and so we although we value and have a value for people who are called to the office of an evangelist who who, you know, we bring our friends and family to and and, and to, who might not know the Lord and they get saved when the evangelist preaches. Uh, I, I, I love that. But we're all called to evangelize. Come on. So it's on it's on all our lives. And, and you might not feel comfortable in it. And that's OK, because we're going to work on it. And uh, we're going to talk about it because it's a core value of this house. And so, again, our four core values, the presence of God, the power of prayer, the transformation that God can provide us. And also that evangelism is a, is something that we all can do. And so um, I also want to uh, talk about and we're going to actually have this awesome stage design that the communications and graphics and 
and uh, Sean Regal and, and some others are actually putting together. It's going to look beautiful. It'll communicate exactly our core values. Um, but uh, it, when that happens in a couple of weeks, I also want to talk about one thing that I want to add to the mission of our church or to the language of our church. You know, on our website and a core um, uh, statement that we have uh, from Pastor Allen, Pastor Gail, is that we are a Bible-based, word-believing church. And we are led by the Spirit. And that will always be that way. That will never change. I love that. And so we're going to keep that. Um, I, I just wanted to add something to it that I felt the Lord uh, told me to add. And, and it's that we're Bible-based church led by the Spirit with a mission. And I just recognize that there's too many of us that are so equipped and God's moving in our lives and we just need a mission to go to. And so I believe part of that mission is helping Albuquerque become saved, set free, delivered and healed. And um, we're going to work on that. But anyway, so we'll have beautiful diagrams that show all that. But that is a part of who we are. That's a part of our our statements here. And so this first um, uh, uh, theme uh, topics that we're going to talk about is the presence of God. So for the next till God tells me to change it to prayer, we're going to work on presence. Some of the things that we do throughout the year are going to be focused on the presence of God and the prayer and prayer. And there's prayer things happening Thursday nights. There's prayer. I know the men meet on Saturday. They they do things together and pray and and um, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. But um, and we'll focus on some evangelism stuff. But the, for this now, for, for the next few weeks, at least, we're going to talk about the presence of God. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, um, I, I, I mentioned it in January 2nd. I talked about the presence of God. I want to talk about another topic when it comes to the presence of God, and that is the presence of God in the midst of community. To experience God's presence in a tangible, powerful way, it often happens in community. And um, we have to recognize that we were always meant to be in relationship. And that we can't do it without relationship. Can you experience God's presence on your own? Absolutely. But the greater issue is, can the church bring heaven to earth when everyone's alone? No. We need community. We were built for community. I mean, God himself, you know, God who's mentioned as the I am when he reveals himself to Moses. I am that I am. And, and in the original form, it's I am I am the being. It's kind of the etymology of that word. And, and when it's not a being, the being. Like no one higher, no one greater. I'm the originator. I'm the, I'm all that there is. And we understand that God is Trinitarian, that we, we know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We serve a Trinitarian God. God is one. He is three in one. And so when we understand that, we understand that God is in relationship. Even the greatest being, the Alpha, the Omega, the I am that I am, is in relationship. Constant love for one another. God manifested presence often showed up in groups of people. Even every move of God in modern history and every move of God that I've ever read was always when there was groups of people together. You look at the Old Testament and you look about when God set the Israelites free out of Egypt and he was 
with them in the wilderness. Um, we know that he would move uh, by cloud or by a pillar of uh, fire and they would see it and they would know that's the presence of God. And they would and God gave them instructions on building a tabernacle. And so whenever that cloud or pillar moved, they would move. And whenever it stopped, they would build that tabernacle and they have an encampment around it. And I have a, a, a slide to show you that um, John will bring up in just a second. And I used it before, but I, I love the image because it really shows exactly what uh, is happening here. So, you know, you see this awesome tabernacle. This is likely what it looked like. We have instructions of the Bible of how they set it up. And uh, and so what's what's great is you see that that presence there that every time they went outside their tent, they saw the presence of God in the center of, of the, the tabernacle. But what's even more striking is look at all the sea of tents. The presence of God was always in the middle of the community. Whenever that presence moved, the whole community moved with it because they knew that the presence of God is what matters because they needed to go where he was going. They needed to do what he was doing. And I, I, I love that they didn't, uh, you know, that God wouldn't let them settle there and make a massive uh, empire. Because if you start making an empire, when God moves, guess what? You can't move. How many moves of God have I uh, read or maybe you've read or experienced where God moved, they build the most massive building that they can build and it costs, you know, tons of money. And then there's a new move. And they go, oh, that's not God's move because God's not moving in our building. It looks like us. It doesn't look like that, right? And so now they're stuck in this place. Well, the, the best concept here is that uh, uh, when God moves, Israel would make an altar. When there was an encounter with God, a miracle, something like that, they would make an altar out of uncut stones and thank the Lord for what he did and made it a memorial. So whenever anyone else passed by, they would know that that altar represented a move that God had experienced. But they never stayed there. Right. OK, so we look we look at Psalm 22, three, God inhabits the praises of his people. We know he manifests his presence in that way. I, I love the, the story in Acts. And I, I know that uh, this is actually this is a powerful story. And that's why we read it a lot. Um, and and I, I want to look at it at a different angle um, in Acts 113 and 114. It says, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all were with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I love that. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out for the first time amongst all humanity because Jesus had died uh, as sinless, uh, a sacrifice for humanity, for the sin of the world. And he on the third day rose again. And then after 40 days had ascended into heaven. And then for 10 days, he had he had instructed the disciples and everyone that was with them to actually pray that the Holy Spirit would, Spirit would be poured out, that they would go together. So they they went to the upper room and they were praying that God would pour himself out amongst all of them, that the Holy Spirit would come. Notice how 
Jesus didn't tell everyone before they he ascended. Everyone go to your individual homes and pray that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Isn't that interesting? They knew better. They knew that they needed to come together, be of one mind, devoted to themselves. And it wasn't just the men. It was the ladies. You know, in community, in Jewish community, they did a lot of things together. And sometimes we uh, just graze over the, the last part of that. It says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There was, that whole community was together. In as, I mean, the upper room is not a massive, massive place. But they were all tied together. And I know that they were probably doing things. We know that they picked another disciple. They, we, we know that they were communing. We know that they were probably fellowshipping. But they really were praying for this outpouring to happen in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next slide. Next few verses. Um, uh, this is uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, and suddenly there came a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say all. All filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The reality is, is that we need to come together in community for the Holy Spirit, to, for, for the move of God how do I say it? Let me say it in a way that I don't regret saying it. The reality is that community is often where God's presence is moving. And his presence is within our community when we commune together. Now, I know that a lot of uh, uh, this transition from Pastor Allen and Pastor Gail to me and the season of, of that we had just been going through in the past few years has been a really tough transition for all of us. I know that. And I know that, that, that it's been hard. Even, you know, I've been talking to some people uh, just even throughout the week, several people, of, and just how they were saying it's been hard to even be connected or feel connected even in our church. And, and I'm trying to, to, I'm working with the staff to make that better. But I want you to know that this isn't, um, this isn't the goal. Our goal is actually to be one. Our goal is actually to commune together. Our goal isn't to just come together and worship and hear a word and say hi for five seconds and leave every week. As much as that is great and that's what we're doing Community is so much greater, so much more than that. Here's, here's some of the things that I wrote, some notes that I wrote that I want to read to you. Community and communal life is tr lacking tremendously in our society, maybe even in our church. Helping one another has been simmered down to thoughts and prayers, comments alone. And the false statement connection with online apps has not really replaced community. See, this becomes so apparent even as a pastor when someone is going through a life event. You know what a life event is? It's like what they put on um, 
you know, uh, uh, when you're an insurance company, you, you're allowed to, you know, sign people up and take people off once a year unless there's a life event. Right? Life events are tragic. Life events don't have to be tragic, but it could be, you know, a wedding, a baby, a funeral. Could be a divorce, something tragic like that. Certain things that are so significant. These life events happen. And I and I connect with people and and and, and they and I find out that they actually didn't realize they have no community. A life event happens, someone dies and they're like, I, I don't have a pastor. I don't have a, a church. I don't have, uh, I don't even know if people are going to show up to this funeral. I was living disconnected for 15, 20 years. I, we just have our immediate family, but, but we weren't really connecting with the, we didn't have a community to connect with. Or someone's going through something tragic like a divorce and, and you're talking to them and, and they realize that their spouse and them were so isolated that now that they're disconnected, they have no one else to walk through this tragedy with. This is real life. But the lie of the enemy and the enemy's goal is to actually isolate you as, mo- as much as possible because he understands that moves of God rarely happen with people isolated. So he tries to make you alone or he tries to make you think that you are self-sustaining. Like, I don't really need anyone else. I can do this on my own. What a lie. It's an absolute lie that you can do everything yourself and that you have enough or you'll just wing it or you'll try to figure it out. That is totally from the enemy because he doesn't want you to have community. He wants you to make you feel like you're ashamed to reach out to someone and ask them to borrow some tools. You know what's crazy? Most churches think they just need more money. It's a lie. They need more community. I was meeting with some, some, uh, and yes, we need more money. Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. Sorry, I had to. I have a little comedic edge to me and it's just perfect timing. Um, But But the reality is we need more community. The more community you have, the more money doesn't even matter. Even in your own life. I heard someone say one time who's wealthy now, they said money doesn't solve problems or make you more happy. It just makes you more of what you already are. If you're unhappy when you have more money, you're just more depressed. It does solve some things, but it doesn't actually get to the root of the issue. And so the reality is, is that we need community and we need to fight the lie that we can do things on our own. I can't do everything myself. I hope you didn't have this idea that if we brought Paul in, he'll fix everything himself so I can just do my life the way I want to live it. Can you experience God alone? Yes. Absolutely. Man, I've had so many glorious moments alone in my room where the Holy Spirit fell. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. You gave me solutions. You gave me perspective. I could not have gotten on my own. How many of you have experienced those times with the Lord, right? Awesome. Can you bring the kingdom when everyone is alone? Can you bring the kingdom of heaven to earth when everyone is alone? 
No. No. Now, have churches, have churches done a great job really showing what community's like? I don't think so. I'm sure our church is pretty, you know, there's, there's groups of people that are doing great things. And I because th- when people, I was, I was, I was meeting with a group of people about working with uh, Albuquerque and there was, there was somebody who wasn't a pastor and he, and he was really kind of like, forget churches, forget this. And, 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 and I was like, Hey man, I'm a pastor and I understand what you're saying. I said, if you're talking about the bureaucratic process that a lot of churches have come to where they only want people to come to their church on Sunday and leave, and that's what they think success is, yeah, I'm not for that. But if we're talking about communities coming together to worship God and change their city, you don't want to forget a church. We just need to get back to the basics of what church is. Look, the early church was the most persecuted Church, I mean, most persecuted in its time of history. The whole church was banned. You know, you couldn't be a Christian out in public without getting harassed, persecuted, martyred. I mean, it was horrible. But you know how they survived? Community. They helped one another. I mean, the Romans were so good at torture and persecution. Uh, I mean, they perfected it. That's why Jesus suffered one of the most violent deaths any human being can suffer through crucifixion because of the Romans expertise in torturing. I mean, even the, the you know, a lot of people don't realize, but, you know, the firework they call Roman candles. Well, that, that, that term Roman candle came from Christian persecution. What they would do is Nero would tar the Christians, light them on fire and hang them on the city walls. Nasty, right? Yeah, that's persecution. You know how the church, the church grew was the fastest growing, you know, movement end up being the main religion of the world. All through community, helping one another. I was, I was visiting a Coptic church, talking to some Coptics. Um, when I was going through my master's degree, I had to do some research, and I studied the Coptic church. And uh, it's awesome. You know, the Coptic church are actually uh, 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 Egyptians uh, uh, who, uh, you know, the, that's their, you know, there's Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox Coptics. And they're Egyptian. And they actually don't have an, an uh, they explained it to me. I, I didn't study this, what they said, that they actually don't, when, uh, when I met with them, they don't have like an Arabic descent. They actually have uh, Egyptian descent and they, and they kind of decipher the two uh, differently. They discern the two differently, but they, they're very persecuted. Even in, you know, in Egypt, obviously it's run by, the, uh, by uh, people who are uh, Muslim who, who uh, don't believe in Christianity. And so they get a lot of persecution. Um, they, they have Coptic churches, like it's known, these Egyptian churches that are Coptic. Um, but they have persecution in all sorts of ways. Like some, some things is like, well, they're not allowed job promotions. When it comes between them and a Muslim, they have to pick the, the, the Muslim uh, uh, person. And it might not be on paper, but this is kind of like known. Um, also, uh, you know, if, they, if the toilet breaks at, uh, at church, they have to get a permit to get it fixed, which never gets approved. So there's, there's these things, these struggles that they have that, that they're going through, but yet they're thriving. How is that possible? Because there are this persecution brought in tight knit communities. You guys all right? Okay. Good. Let me read you a story. Uh, uh, here's, here's the first story. 
is a true story I read on the news. And um, this is what they wrote. Imagine being confined to a small dark room with no social interaction whatsoever for 30 days. Not many people would jump to this opportunity, but in November of 2018, a professional U.S. poker player named Rich Alati bet $100,000 that he could survive 30 days alone and in total darkness, which is ridiculous. I couldn't imagine that. He was kept in a small, completely dark room with nothing but a bed, a fridge, and a bathroom. Even with all the resources he needed to survive, Alati couldn't last the month. After 20 days, he negotiated his release taking a payout of 62400 I don't know how he could negotiate his release, but I mean, he got paid even though he lost the bet, but I, you know. Oh, okay. In 1972, this is my second story that I want to read to you uh, on isolation. French adventurer and scientist Michel Cifre Cifra, okay, sorry, I asked Benet, our French native, to add to, to help me. Famously shut himself in a cave in Texas for more than six months, what still clocks as one of the longest self-isolation experiments in history. Meticulously, he was documenting the effects of his mind over those 205 days. And Michel wrote that he couldn't barely string thoughts together after a couple of months. By the fifth month, he was reportedly so desperate for company that he tried unsuccessfully to prevent to be, befriend a mouse. You know, even more, you know, we're, we're not made for isolation. We're actually made for relationship. We're made to connect with one another. We're made to walk things through for one another. And we're made to give our strengths to help each other out. Half the time of being a pastor is just listening. I mean, I, I've even been in those spaces where I'm like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going through something. I need to share something. And all I need is someone to talk to. They don't even give me any advice. I just feel better. That happens in relationship. It happens in community. And I want us as a community to come together so that we can host the presence of God as a community. Individually, but also as a community. And I don't want us to just be here just to sing a song, hear a word, and leave. I want us to be here to build community. And we're going to continue to try to do things that do facilitate those communities. We do things called dinner party groups. I encourage you to try to connect with one of, with one of those. If you can't connect with them, be one. Because I know they're getting full. But the reality is, is that... Um, the, those dinner party groups are not for any agenda, not to not for you to study the Bible, although I love us studying the Bible. We're working on things like that. But but the reality is, is for you to actually come together and just do life together, share a meal together. You know, not everyone can can teach and, and preach. Not everyone can lead a prayer ministry, although you're, you're more than welcome to pray and worship during these times. Not everyone can can cook meals, but you're more than welcome to invite people to bring meals over. But if you can open your home. And people can come and join you. That's all you need to start building communities. So when someone's going through something, you can say, hey, Joe, Joe Smith is going through someone. Sorry if your name's Joe Smith. I'm trying to make be super generic here. Joe Smith is going through something. Let's come around him and pray for him. Hey, someone's going through a job promotion. Let's 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 bless him and celebrate him. 
You know, I, when I was in Augusta, Georgia, the community is, um, is, is this really rare community. It's called Alleluia Community. And it's a bunch of people who have moved together, who love the Holy Spirit, all from different backgrounds. And they're coming together, living life together, 700 people. 700 people living life together. They all go to their own churches. They're all Christian. And they come together and they do life together. And you know what they told me? They said, well, when someone loses their job or their job moves, everyone in the community helps them find another job. I was like, wow. I was sitting in the host's couch in their living room and like all the houses kind of back up to one another. It's this massive field. And the, the, all these kids are like, they're just like a herd. They just like run around. And I'm like, wow, it's amazing. And 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 then a bunch of kids like knocking on the door stumbled in and hurt their knee and the 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 wife of the uh, of the house and she 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 comes and she's just like fixing the knee and like and then they scoot on their way and, and I was like was that your kid they're like no that that wasn't our kid they just take care of each other and um and so the this, this is so useful and so helpful. And I think as a community, we need to break off the lie that we need to walk things by ourselves and actually say, we will be here for each other. And we will reach out to you when you're, when you're driving along the road and you, and you get the thought that you should call someone, resist the temptation to listen to the next song. Reach out to them. Even though you're high, you're tired and you, and you, and you don't, you just got done from work and all you want to do is, is, uh, veg out and chill and still invite your friend over or still ask someone to, to join you for dinner. Community is hard work. It doesn't just happen to you. You actually have to work at it. I mean, bless the, the person who's like, the new kid in school and they don't have to work for anything. It just kind of happens to them and everyone's hanging around them. It's like, man, they just connect with community. But the reality is we got to work at it with one another. And if, and that's how we help each other when we're raising children, when we're, when people are going through things that they need, you know, like I, we tell our friends and people we've connected with, Hey, if you need someone to watch your kids, drop them off at our house. We'll watch them for you. Ruth will take care of it. It'll be fine. Because that's what community does. Even though I might have worked all day, if someone needs help moving something, I'll do it. If you, if you own a truck, you're like asking for community. You know it. Because you know, if they know you got a truck, it's like, hey, I'm at, a, I'm at the furniture store. Could you, uh, could you come help me? Is your truck around? You know? <laughs> Jesus modeled and the early church solidified that our lives are for community. Jesus, of course, had times alone by himself, fellowshipping with the Lord. But he mostly spent his time with either the three, the twelve, or the whole group of disciples, even thousands of people he wasn't discipling. We know that in the midst of two or three, he's with us. And I know I'm praying, man, I'm praying so hard that God would move in our church and we would have like this awesome revival move, just like they happened in Toronto 20 some years ago where God just moved and people were getting healed and saved and delivered. And it was going outside the church and millions of people across the earth were getting touched. Um, I want that. 
want that for us. I want that for, for, for the city. But I don't, I don't want the cart before the horse. I want us to be a real community. I don't want to be one of those churches that say we're a family and we're really not. And I'm asking God for wisdom on how to do that and, and still facilitate some things where we can do things as a church, just have a meal here as a church and, and not, just, not just the women's tea, but have some men join us and serve real things like coffee. Because uh, I, I don't know what tea is. It's just dirty water to me. Um, but let's just be real. Like, I drink tea when I just, when I can't have any more caffeine and I'm cold. Because tea doesn't do anything else but make you warm, my opinion. And my wife would be yelling at me, but she's in the nursery, so, oh well. All right. So I, as we end, I just want us to help facilitate community. I know it's been a rough season for a lot of us who've been a part of this church for years or decades. They were part of the church when Pastor Al and Pastor Gail were leading it, and how wonderful they are, and how great they were at community. And I know I came in, and I'm just trying to find my pastor legs, uh, kind of like sea legs, but for pastors. And, and I'm f- trying to figure that out, and I know we're not the best at it, and I want us to be. And I want us to know each other. And, um, and so I want us to work on it so that when God moves, it's going to touch our whole community. We will be a light for this city. We'll be a light for the world. Why don't you stand? The devil will try to make you alone, try to make you sad, try to make you think that there's no point in trying to reach out. It's just easier to be by yourself. It's easier to just stay in your own home, go to work, get up, go to bed. But the reality is he's making you isolated so that you die on that separated vine. And we need to just Get over our pride, swallow our pride, swallow our comfort and say, I'm going to reach out to so-and-so. There's been times where I, you know, I worked a full day at work and I met with people throughout the day and I'm studying for the sermon and we have a time to meet with someone at night. And you know what? I'm tired. And I'm like, all right, fine. And we meet. But you know, at the end, I go, man, that was so good. I felt so much, I'm so glad I had that meeting. I'm so glad I connected because in the middle of our fellowship, his presence came and there was connection there. Okay. So I just want to invite you up here as we close, as I pray, just as a family that we would come together in community and that we would ask God would move in the midst of us together. So I want to just invite you up here as many as you want to come up and just stand together and just say let's let's be a real family. Let's be better than how we treat each other. Let's be better than how we treat our real families. 
Some of us say, well, at least I have my family. I might not be in a full community, but I have my family. I've talked to those people too. And sometimes their, friend, their, their kids don't like them anymore. Sometimes they're not in relationship with their family anymore. The community's there for each other, no matter the dynamic. So let's just pray. God, I just thank you for this community. God, I pray that you would help us feel connected as a family. That you would remove the barriers, you would break the lie, that you would help us fight the temptation not to interact with each other. We would fight that and we would actually come together. We would share each other's burdens with one another. We would share our joys with one another. That we would grow together. And that we that the fathers and the mothers in this church would rise up and start mentoring those younger and just helping each other. And the younger people will start helping with some of the hard work and whatever it needs and whatever it looks like, even if it's just listening. God, I just pray that we would be a, a true church, a true community, so that your presence can be present. God, we want to just break off the isolation mode that society's trying to put on us. God, I pray that meals would multiply in each other's homes. And so, Lord, I pray that this would just change in our hearts. I pray that you'd break off this isolation spirit that's running even through our own church. And you would give our leadership eyes to see, wisdom and direction, and that you would help the ones that even are coming who are new, help them connect so that they can know what it's like to be actually part of our community. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We love you.